Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic, and my name is Sammy James. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be looking back at Sunday's match as Fulham played out an entertaining five-goal thriller against Everton. It was a really open game and, unsurprisingly, the slightly better team won. The game was free to air on TV for us in the UK, but it was Everton who were free to roam, particularly Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who took the same amount of time to score Everton's first as it takes to heat a goo-baked chocolate pudding in the microwave. I'm joined today by Nathan Martin. Hello, hello. Cam Ramsey. Evening. And Dom Betts. Hello, hello. How are we doing, chaps? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, got a few Moretti's on the go, so it could be worse, you know what I mean? It's not bad. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I like the game being early <laughs> to get it out of the way, or the yeah. fact I've got to lull over it for the rest of the day, because at least with the West Ham one, it was like, finish at 10 o'clock, or go to bed and wake up the next day and just not care about it. I don't know if I prefer it being early <laughs> or late. It was, it was as sort of, it wasn't actually, it wouldn't be as devastating as the West Ham game, but... Yeah, no, I, I'm fine. You know, we, we I thought we played fairly well today. So apart from the first 40, 45 seconds, um, but yeah, no, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm still, I'm still, I'm, I still, still don't know what to make of it, to be honest. It's quite important the first 45 seconds, though, particularly when you concede every single time. Now, um, I didn't ask anyone to do the three-word reviews today, so um, I'll take them uh, as, I, as I didn't give any of you any warning. I've clearly been in uh, Sunday mode today. So I'll start- You've been focusing on your metaphors, focusing on what, you know, and I actually have to say for American listeners, they have no idea in hell what a goo chocolate pudding is because it's <laughs> a very UK sort of centric thing. And you guys are really obsessed over here in this country with like your microwavable puddings and desserts and things that's just not quite the same thing in the u.s so uh you know you're, you're really going down a niche little alley here today why what would be what would what would be the american equivalent of a goo baked chocolate pudding i i don't know I mean, maybe one of our listeners could give us an example so you know these are just the sort of like you know 45 stick in your microwave you know just a little hot you know whatever <laughs> sweet sweet dessert i mean we i just maybe maybe i just grew up in the south we just did, didn't really do quite as many of those things I was, like it was it was a it was hot most of the time so you just go with cold desserts and things but if you're going to go for the 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 hot you know microwavable thing i i just it's just not i don't think it's quite as ubiquitous as it is over here okay well i mean yeah i mean i had a goo chocolate baked pud yesterday which is what uh, my mind has clearly been working on a weekend not three word reviews anyway some of the best three word reviews from the match uh sophie johnson said the long 12 yards and uh yes we will be talking about penalties on this podcast don't you worry uh, elijah says in brackets bbc bitter brittle crippled uh elijah being uh, nice and positive today I'm glad that's what you said after that Oh yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> let's not go down. Let's not go down that avenue, Tom. Um, <laughs> Matt Batson, twenty-two, said turbulent toffee troubles, and Harry Blakely said penalties, positives, pointless, which I think is probably sums it up absolutely perfectly. Uh, right, let's come on to the game and uh, who started for Fulham and Dom. A uh, couple of interesting selection choices by Scott, uh, particularly the fact that Mitro wasn't in the starting eleven. Obviously, we know all about um, his tumultuous couple of weeks for Serbia. He is clearly not 100% fit. Um, and Guisa also dropped to the bench, I guess, maybe due to his international exploits. Not 100% sure. Scott was asked before the game and answered like a politician where he didn't really say anything. Um, but Kevin Lamina came in and 
I didn't hate it. I don't know. Um, but I mean, maybe a lot of people would disagree, but I feel like Mitrovic clearly isn't hundred percent fit. And maybe it was nice to, it was slightly refreshing to see a bit of a change. I was expecting him either to be rested or get brought off during the second half if he started, because I think, you know, he, he played obviously 120 minutes plus the penalty shootout against Scotland. Uh, obviously in their, in their second nations league game, he played 90 minutes in a five and victory. You know, he played a lot of football. You could argue this season in total, he hasn't been, you know, 100% fit yet. You know, when he came back from that injury in the playoff final, we knew he wasn't fit. This season, he's he's looked he's looked good, but he hasn't looked like his his usual self. I'd say. Um, I think he's still he's still not completely up to the pace. But I'm not saying we shouldn't start him. He's clearly our best attack attacking outlet, holding the ball up and stuff. But you know, Bobby Reid obviously got the goal. I think he's now our top goal scorer with with four goals. But I wasn't. I was more confused why Cavalero was starting more more, yeah. more than anything. I mean, I don't see what he's yeah. done all season to sort of warrant a starting place. And I think today sort of explained that, although today was probably his first performance that was above a two out of 10 this season. And, 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 he, still missed, and he still missed a penalty. So I think, I think that, I think that says it all, but no, I wasn't, it was, I was more the midfield I was concerned about. Um, Cause you know, Angeese has been such a key asset in our midfield this season that would we miss him? I think we did. And then obviously, you know, we'll get onto it and people making the comparisons of, you know, when, when Loftus-Cheek came on, but I think when we'll get onto Loftus-Cheek. The point with Loftus-Cheek was that he was playing with Angeese and Mitrovic on the pitch and, you know, someone like Tom Kenny wasn't, but overall I thought the lineup with, you know, players in this, this is a, was a triple header international break with big games, especially for Mitrovic. So yeah, I, I understood the lineup, but I wasn't too, positive with it if that makes sense I thought you know if we played uh, I'd rather be playing a semi-fit Mitrovic than a fully fit Cavalero yeah and you know the Mina we could tell after the first five minutes wasn't quite up to how he played in his previous performance against West Brom um right Cam um what is your the name of your Sunday league football team um (laughs) we are called um Atletico Buble Atletico Buble. Yep. Okay, why? By why? Out of interest. Um, it's a long-standing thing between the lads who actually form the team. I'm not 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 really sure why, but their goals team was called Atletico Buble, and um, they won all of their leagues and divisions, and they just basically made an eleven-a-side team. And um, yeah, whenever we meet teams from I don't know um, Clapham Junction, you know, there's Junction Elite, there's Wimbledon Town. They always think that they're going to trounce us, but then again, we always come back with a nice three 0 victory and uh, laugh in their faces as we go away <laughs> singing Christmas Christmas hymns and carols at them in the usual Michael Bublé way. Uh, it's, it's good fun, really. Okay, so Cam, I've I've played football with you. You're you're a very uh, talented winger, and um, you're a man of cliches on the pitch. I like to think just you know you've got all of them. It's it's still nil nil, lads. Switch on and all of those. <laughs> now, now, what would you be saying to your team a couple of minutes before a game, and a few of them were larking about, maybe looking like they weren't ready for the match? What would you be saying? Get your head switched on, lads. This isn't a time for joking around, you know. You do that at the end of the game once we've got three points under our belt. You know, we can all wash each other down in the shower so we really need to. But what's the point in doing that before the game, all right? Right. Could you go and say that to the Fulham FC team? Because 42 seconds and that goal just screamed to me of switch on, lads. Switch on, get your head in the game. Um, What was going on, Cam? Please talk me through that opening 42 seconds. It was a shit show. Well, completely. And as much as I hate Martin Keown, you know, he's he's a charmless fool. He did actually talk a lot of sense, you know. Um, We're not ready to play out from the back and uh, we do overcook things quite a lot. And it proved within the first couple of seconds that we really aren't equipped to deal with people's high press and Everton's high press, notably. And um, 
Bobby Bobby Dekov over Reed actually had a good game, but that tame little layup, you know, basically to assist Everton's opener, and then the way we stood off them as they attacked down the left, um, you know, it's it, it's an insult to injury that um, Dekov over Reed didn't actually didn't actually really you know contribute that much defensively, but you know Everton's goal. I don't think Calvert-Lewin actually knew much about it anyway. And that's the thing that stings the most. You know, it just seems to be such a Fulhamish thing that mm. um, it wasn't even a great goal to start off with, but already we're on the back foot. And there's no leadership out there. I think they do need somebody of Sunday League ilk out there just to knock a bit of sense into them, definitely. Well, Cam, I, I don't think there's too many better suitors than yourself. So maybe <laughs> uh, maybe you need to get yourself down to Motspur Park on, on Sunday. But um, Nathan, uh, BC Brown asked the question. He, say, he said Fulham's issues are obvious, which is defending at the start of both halves. So why not come into the halves in a defensive posture until yeah. they're settled? And and it's a very salient point. Just clearly we, we are not very good in the opening 10 minutes of halves. We need to calm it down. And I kind of thought we'd solved this problem in the last couple of games. You know, the West Ham game, the West Brom game, we, we started them both very sensibly. But this, ju- it really just smacked of, of not being ready and, 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 and we paid the price for it against a good team. Yeah, and I, I we we've talked about this in the group, and we you know I know people have talked about it publicly of how much you can blame Scott for for whatever is going on, and this is one area where you know for whatever the reason Scott's just not been able to get the players up for it to start, you know for for, for, the, for the starting whistle, and I completely agree. You know, if you're a team that is struggling in certain points of the game, certain points of the match, let's say the first five minutes, like you said, or the first five minutes after the halftime, you just have a strategy. Look for the lads for the first five minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. We're not going to play out of the back. We're going to clear it long. Bobby should never be heading that ball back, you know, backwards. It should just be clearing it forward. Don't make it easy on them. Make them have to build up out of the back. They've got to, you know, get settled into the match as well. And then, you, and then you go from there. I mean, th- you know, uh, Anderson and um, Tozen, they look great together for, for most points of the game. Aina, I'm sure we're going to come on to him in a little bit, you know, really had a, a poor performance today, particularly in the, in the back. Um, but don't make it easier on them. And, you know, there's just some real basic things. Same with some of our free kicks, some of our set pieces that, you know, we just got to go back to borrow another cliche, go back to basics and just go back to the things that they teach you. And when, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're a little eight year old running out of the pitch and, you know, Scott's just got to beat that through their heads because right now we are not good enough to start a match trying to play like Pep. And it shows, and it showed too many times. We put ourselves in a hole. We almost dug ourselves out today. We almost dug ourselves out against Leeds. And at the end of the year, you know, it's going to be a question of whether those holes are just too deep for the team as, as we come into a relegation push. I'm hoping in today's podcast we do all the Sunday League cliches. I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping we can somehow this get... This is a challenge. This is what we're going to do. Yes. I'm, I'm hoping by the end of um, the podcast we can get box them in um, <laughs> into there. And it's still nil-nil. So um, that's your challenge for the rest of the podcast um dom we obviously it was a big big blow to concede that early goal but fulham really got back into the match well and i think were were good value to be 1-1 and and bobby decadovery took his goal well and I think there's a real mixed opinion on on Bobby. I'm definitely living on Deckard over Reed Island. Um, I, I really see his value to this team. And I thought it was a really, really smart finish um, for the first. Good pass from Kearney as well. And I think it we, we definitely were good value to be to be level. Yeah, we definitely we definitely sort of woke up finally after that. And, you know, I mean, it was... Uh, everyone will talk about Bobby Deckard over Reed for that. 
first goal we conceded. But I think you also got to look at Tosinella Rabio playing that ball across to Ole, you know, that early in the game. Just get the ball forward. Um, but yeah, on the goal, yeah, it was a great, uh, great sort of one bit of one-two play between him and Tom Kearney. Um, Tom Kearney, I think, I don't, I actually, I thought he played well enough today for what what he could have done. I mean, when you got when when your front three is, you know, got including Ivan Cavallero, Bobby Reed, it's not like your main front three. There's only so much he can do. But it was good play. I said we we grew into the game. And to be fair, apart from the Aston Villa game, the games where we have conceded early, that's been the case where we've 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 gone down early but as soon as we've conceded that goal we've switched on and been the better team I'm thinking that first half against Arsenal uh, when we when we played Leeds when we when we got when we got back into the game we we could have you know taken the lead there so I I was I was happy with the way it was going and obviously we got that deserved equaliser through Bobby Reid it was a great finish I think too many people although Pickford could probably tighten the angle more I think a lot of people are taken away from what's a great bit of play and a great great touch to get it sort of out out wide right and hit it across goal uh, from Bobby Deckard over in, as I said earlier, is now I think yeah our top goal scorer with four goals I think, and you know many people if you said you know going into the end of November that Bobby Reed would be our top goal scorer, I don't think many people would have agreed with you. But yeah, it was great to get back into the game, but it sort of felt like once we took the lead, we sort of then sat back again and then allowed Everton Everton's pressure and high press to come onto us a bit too much. But we didn't seem like we continued with it once we got the equaliser. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Bobby Deckard over Reed. He scored six goals last season in 40 appearances and already has four goals to his name this season. And, and we remember all his struggles last year. It took him till late November to score his first goal for Fulham. And the season started in early August. You know, that's a, a long time it took him to get that first goal. He seems to have got that kind of real monkey off his back now in terms of scoring. And I, I remember when he played for Bristol City that season where he scored over 20 goals, he was a he was a goal threat. And, and, and that's a real asset for us this season. Lots of people talk about the fact that we don't have a backup striker. And, and I really think that Bobby Deckard over Reed is overlooked. And, and there was quite a few people that commented on my penalty article that I did about him where I said he should be our penalty taker. And we'll come on to that. Um, but that I, people said, well, he shouldn't be starting anywhere. And I just fully disagree. I just really think that Bobby Deckard overread and is an essential part of this team. There's a good um, article in The Athletic about it from Peter Rutzler as well, where he talks about uh, Bobby Deckard overread maybe being the, the missing piece of the puzzle and, and, and so adaptable in so many ways and kind of talks about his transition into the positions he's played. It's a, it's a really good article. If you want to read any of Peter's articles on The Athletic, uh, you can do so for £1 a week. The code is theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. Um, Cam, uh, the game really opened up after that point and Dom said that we didn't threaten quite as much once we got level and it wasn't a massive surprise to me to see that the slightly better team was bet more suited to take advantage of, of an open game but the second goal was really disappointing from, from lots of points. Yes, Awobi does well. Yes, it's a nice passing move but Aina's completely out of position and... And I just think we made it far too easy for them in that, that that second goal. Well, we made it far too easy for all of their goals in the first half, regardless. We've already touched on this. Um, you know, playing out from the back isn't something that we're necessarily strong at. I don't think we're equipped to do so. But um, communication-wise, there doesn't really seem to be a lot going on defensively. And maybe that's because everybody is so you know unfamiliar with one another. You've got to build relationships and um, you've, you've really got to just fortify yourselves as a unit. But to be caught up once is bad enough. But three times within, I don't know, mm. 35 minutes or so, you've really got to look at yourselves at half time and give yourself a bit of a slap around the back of the head. And somebody's got to be a leader out there. 
and there didn't really just seem to be anybody that wanted to take control at the back. And Lucas Dinia, he had um, so much time and space to pick his pick his passes into the penalty area. And Calvert Lewin more or less had a picnic out there in the six yard box. That's what he's <laughs> that's, that's what he's saying. That's what he's dangerous. You know, that, that, that's what he's renowned for this season. He's really come on leaps and bounds underneath Angelotti, who's who's moulded him into a top, top striker. And for me, somebody that can definitely push Harry Kane for, you know, the starting, the starting berth in the England squad. And we didn't really recognise that. And we didn't, we didn't heed, you know, the, the problems that he, he poses as an imposing strong striker. And yeah, I mean, I mean, along the right, I don't see, I don't see Olerena as our starting right back anyway. I think mm. he's a makeshift player at, at best. Um, but Everton took full advantage of that. They recognised that he was a weak link, just like Crystal Palace did, um, oddly enough, you know, with Zaha running freely at him. And it's something that we've got to iron out very, very quickly. To flip that around, the only thing on that back line, you know, you compare Aina to... Um to Anthony Robinson on the other side and just sort of night and day comparison. It was the only kind of bright spot throughout the match on the, on the defensive side. Robinson is just his speed, his sort of ability to, even when he gets beat to come back around again, and yeah. it, you know, it caused problems. And, and yet, you know, we, we have that on one side, which shows you the possibility. Baida gets forward, can't get back. It just left acres of space. And then, you know, our communication is not great in the center as it is. And if you're giving someone that log to, to tee up a ball, of course, you're going to have problems. Of course. And, you know, that's coming from a proud American like yourself as well. <laughs> You've got to bang that drum. And I, I, I love what uh, Robinson's brought to our squad, too. And you're right, it, it is kind of chalk and cheese with those two. They're, they're so different in what they bring to the squad. And we have we, we barely had any problems apart from a few misplaced uh, dabs into the centre of the park from Robinson himself, actually, who nearly got us into hot water. But, um, yeah, it's completely different um, comparing the two. And uh, definitely the, the stronger performer is Robinson and Iron. Aina needs to kind of, uh, you know, follow suit a little bit if he's going to last in this setup. Yeah, I mean, Parker said um, in his press conference to, to Peter Rutzler that it looks like Tete and, and Congolo are still a few weeks away. They're not training with the first team. I mean, I, I think it's undeniable that pretty much every Fulham fan wants to see Kenny Tete back at right back and and that will solve a lot of problems I mean Dom the third goal for me wound me up the most Luca Dean just had so much time to pick out a cross and a lot of people will point fingers at the fact that Decore ran into the box unmarked but for me the much bigger crime is the fact that a brilliant cross like Luca Dean has time and space to pick out a cross not picking up a late midfield runner is a is a bit more of a not not a harder thing to, to criticize, but I I think it's the lesser of two evils in this situation. Yeah, I think in throughout the entire game today, Awobi and Dinye just had far too much space, and did, I didn't think that I'd be t- praising Alex Awobi as a wing back in <laughs> year two thousand twenty. But yeah, I think both it's been a crazy year, Dom. Both 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 him and Luca Dinye had just had too much time and space on the wings pretty much all day until we got our second goal, and this, this goal, you know, beginning of a half showed showed once again, and when this went in. Through Adelaide Decore, I was I was expecting the worst because at that point, obviously we had our, we we got our equaliser, but we didn't really threaten after that. 
And, you know, I thought this could be a, a, quite a bad afternoon for us after what we've seen Everton can do in other games this season, especially with, you know, you've got, as I mentioned, Dinye and Iwobi, you have Calvert-Lewin, uh, Hamas Rodriguez, all coming at you, Richarlison as well. And I thought, you know, they, they this could be a pacing at one point because we didn't seem to be offering much, as I said, once we scored. But I think... Although it was a, it was a terrible time to concede the goal, I mean it's never a good time. But I feel like this really woke everyone up properly, and you know we we went into we went we we'd gone into half time, and Scott Parker would have been obviously fuming with just the way we've been conceding goals, and then we definitely did see something different in the second half. But it shouldn't. It, we shouldn't have to be reactionary to goals to change the way we're playing. We need to just be able to just take it on ourselves to actually sort the way we're playing. And we saw that against West Brom. We saw that against West Ham. But it seemed like today we were, we were back, uh, back to old tricks where we were sort of having to react to the opposition scoring to actually get something out of the game. And Dom, can I, I just want to, like, we could have been a pasting, but for Areola, who made a couple saves yeah. to keep to keep us in the match. And I, I just think what makes me so angry about this match and some of the others we've had this year is we're wasting another performance. Like I think his, his performances between the sticks have been absolutely exceptional. And if it, he was on any other side besides Fulham, you know, you, you would, you would hear his name mentioned much, much more regularly. He had one save, which I, I, th- I think it was against Richarlison where he got down to the left and just, you know, just, just cut down the angle, made it, made a brilliant dive and, and, you know, knocked it out. And then, and then the other thing I think that just, doesn't get appreciated. I know he's, he's he made a mistake with this once this year. I forget which match, but he comes out really well to to clear and clean up balls that are coming in, like crosses that are coming in the box. And having a big, strong keeper like that is is just is just huge. And it's just a shame that we weren't able to to get more out of his performance today. We are seeing the amount of saves he has to make because our defense allows chances and chances that he he could do. It's like it's like you know that's why if you look at top saves, it's often the teams at the bottom. But no, Ariola has been great. This season for us, I mean, we'd, pro- we'd probably definitely be in the bottom three if it wasn't for him this season. The amount of key saves he's made for us, but as I said, it's just frustrating that in in a lot of the games this season we we're having to react to going down to one nil, two one, three one instead of taking it on ourselves to actually impose ourselves on an opposition. Which yeah. albeit we did that against West Brom, we did it a bit against West Ham, but you know. This this game really, I know it's tough. You know, Everton have had a very good start to the season, although you know on three on three losses in the in the last three games before this hasn't helped them. But you know, with with Leicester and City away and Liverpool at home, I know City haven't been great this season, but I mean they're definitely going to be they're definitely going to beat beat us most likely. So I think we should have been targeting this game, but definitely to get something out of. And it didn't. That didn't seem like that was yeah. our game plan. Today should have been a draw. Today should have been a draw, right? Like we we played well enough to get a draw out of today. Well, let's come on to the second half performance. I think the opening kind of 10, 15 minutes, there wasn't a lot to write home about. Richarlison had a good chance for a free kick, but he would have 100% been offside. Speaking offside, was anyone, uh, all these VAR offside decisions, I hate nothing more than when there's a fingernail <laughs> offside like Patrick Bamford. And yet when Calvert-Lewin and they drew the line with Adarabaya, I was like thinking, oh. please, please, I would love nothing more right now than for your left toe to be offside. Please, 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 please. And for <laughs> yeah. one time it happens to Fulham, of course, he's given onside. I just thought, you little VAR bastards. <laughs> anyway. Um, I, I, I just want to say, I think Calvert-Lewin, as a side note, got a lot of soft calls today like the number of times oh, like, like so bad. yeah i mean i i know that that's his job harry kane has, has has perfected that to an art form but just the number of times that he would just 
you know, flop at the sort of the, the slightest touch. I thought the referee was really, really soft with him today. I know that's kind of a, a sore loser thing to complain about, but I, I did think it was a, it was it was a bit soft. No, that was the one where he rugby tackled Anguissa and somehow got a free kick out of it. And I was thinking, how's that that happened? Yeah, What was so stupid about that is the same 50-50 challenge happened with Harrison Reid. And I can't remember. I think it might have been Calvert-Lewin five seconds earlier. And Anguissa comes in, absolutely bulldozes him. The same thing, essentially, that he did to um to Harrison Reed really? it, it was given a foul I don't I don't I feel like sometimes when these more physical players end up going down they they that the referee sees it as more of a foul yeah because they're not expecting a player like this to go down but I think you know although there was soft calls I think we, we spoke about it earlier but I think only credit has to go to Calvert-Lewin this season I think I think what one of the main things about what he's, what he's done I don't want to praise him too much being a Fulham podcast but I think one of the main things he's done is actually made himself a striker instead of running in the channels all the time. And I think he's made that, you know, the opposition 18-yard box his own. And, you know, I think he, he was good today. But again, yeah, I think there was soft calls to him. But as, as I said, I don't think it's something that, it's something that you, you notice after the game and during the game. But I think, you know, it, I don't think Anderson and, and Arabai dealt with him great today. But, you know, he is, as you say, I think top goal scorer in the league now is it with 10 goals. And uh, we'll see if Vardy scores any against Liverpool at time of recording. But, yeah, and no, I think that it was soft calls today, but I think that Everton, you know, with, with someone like Howard Lewin up top, they, he just helps them so much and causes, because obviously that's going to that's gonna attract the centre-halves to him and it allows the likes of Hamas Rodriguez and Richarlison to sort of pick pockets of space and cause us trouble. You don't get any of that stuff on a Sunday morning in Merton, mate, honestly. If you're going to be falling around the floor, <laughs> you better get your Lucas, eh? get yourself home, have a cold bath, hot waters for big boys, right? You better think about your game a little bit, Dominic. Calvert Lewin, if you're going to be throwing yourself about like a fish, don't happen. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> uh, let's come on to the the second half, and and Parker made two pretty bold changes for me. He brought on Mitro and Loftus Cheek. He brought off Decadova Reed and Tom Kearney. Um, quite a surprising decision, Cam. I think the one that raised the most eyebrows was him bringing off Decadova Reed instead of Ivan Cavallero. But the substitution worked pretty quickly, and um, and Mitro and Loftus Cheek built up a very, very nice partnership. And of course, it was them two that linked for the penalty, which uh, we'll come on to. No, of course. Um, we all live within, you know, a very close proximity to a real tiresome brigade of Chelsea fans that are always bleating on at us saying, why isn't Loftus-Cheek playing? He's our best player. And, you know, I've I've, I've flown that, you know, I, I've held that torch as well. I've written a bloody article about him saying just how perfect he is. Um, and the simple answer is he's been pretty subpar, you know, in the fleeting performances he's had with us so far. He's been shoehorned into positions where he's maybe a little bit more unfamiliar um, to playing behind a central, you know, focal point up top. But this is the kind of performance that we've been expecting from Loftus-Cheek for a very, very long time now, it seems anyway. And, you know, even Chelsea fans themselves have been crying out for a little bit of intent from him. And as soon as he in particular came onto the pitch, our, uh, our fortunes changed. And we saw, you know, somebody who wanted to pick the ball up and drive at defenders and really force an issue, um, get into those difficult areas where, you know, one bit of contact could make the difference. And it proved for a penalty. We won't, you know, dwell on that too much because, of course, we're <laughs> going to be uh, talking about that a little bit more and dissecting it because Caviero, well, we'll, we'll leave that till later on. You know, we've got a lot to say. But Let, let's, let's come on to it now. Look, we, we are, we are <laughs> shite. Bad. 
We are shite from penalties, and, and I saw that Opt Joe calculated definitively that Fulham have missed 48% of their penalties since 2016-17, adding right. Cavalero to the list of ridiculous penalties i thought i'd see i thought after the lookman one i thought i'd seen it all i thought there was <laughs> i thought there are no more variations of full and missing a penalty that i can see of course i hadn't discounted the fact that david beckham from euro 2004 oh. could come back into our lives uh I, oh my gosh I actually thought it's harsh to criticize him but then danny no. murphy raised a very serious point afterwards that with his run-up he either was going to hit it to the left or he was going to fall over Look, I hate to harp on about it, mate, but there's videos of me online, all right? Videos <laughs> of me online where I stick penalties in for fun. And once again, these lads need to just take note of that. They need to really, really know the levels out here. Um, but Danny Murphy was completely right. He was a, he was far too narrow running onto the ball. It's predictable. The keeper can see what he's doing. And he didn't open his body up enough and slipped. And it was so, so funny to watch. You know, I was sitting there. And we all were. My brother was sitting beside me. He's an Arsenal fan. Bloody hate him. And um, <laughs> he was rolling about the floor laughing. And so was I. You know, you can just despair at the fact we are so, so crap at penalties. And what is going on? That should be the one thing you're working on in training every single week from now on, every single day. No, we won't do any positional awareness training. We can leave that for another day. Penalties is where we're going to be getting our goals from, obviously. You know, just do something about it. It's just ridiculous. All I'm, all I'm saying is 20 to 1 for Fulham's miss a penalty today was great value. It was great, Val. Uh, I wish I, I wish I looked really hundred quid on it. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just, I just cannot get over, like, like Cam said, like you, you can't even be horrified or shocked anymore. You're just sort of like, I just sat there like gobsmacked, like my mouth just is like, yeah, of course we're gonna find another way to miss it. And every time <laughs> you sort of are just praying that I would love to just see the net bulge, right? Like just see the, the, the just go in and no, we have found another way to miss a penalty. And especially after watching the Scotland Serbia where you had some real you know, until Mitra of course came up, you know, some really well taken strikes and, and finishes. It's like this should not be that hard. And I, you know, I would, I would hate to think about how many members of the Fulhamish squad could go out there and get a better strike rate than what our Fulham team is going through right now? And I, you know, I, I hate the sort of uh, armchair quarterbacking, as they say in the states. But like, just, 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 just hit it into the corner. Just pass it into the corner. Make the keeper have to make a save, or just Jamie Vardy it. Just smash it down <laughs> the middle of the goal, right? Like, just hit it as hard as you can. Maybe the keeper will move out of the way. And you know. The head case that's going on at Fulham, we talk about stats, we talk about analytics. I am so sick of just paying some guy 20 grand a year to do nothing but get guys ready to take penalty kicks. And I am sure that'd be the best 20 grand that Tony Codd could spend. Yeah. And, you know, j just, just like throw in, maybe just get hire Cam. Hire Cam to come down and teach the Fulham squad how to take penalty kicks. We'll crowdfund it. You know, if, 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 the, <laughs> if the Jags are having a tough time and, you know, I know they got wrestling going on. We, we, we will, you know, we can find some way to help Fuller make a penalty kick. You know what made me laugh? Um, one thing about that penalty in itself is the way that, you know, the, the replays panned back to Caballero, a forlorn figure on the floor. <laughs> and he sort of, he, he was staring at the target like it was going to go in. You see, it's like he actually really meant to do it. Like the way, the way he kind of sat on the floor, you could see his eyes fixed firmly on the target as it kind of flew over the net. Like, yes, this is what I need. This is what I wanted. This is exactly how I want it to go down. I was gonna say at least Lookman committed fully to what he was going for. You know, yeah, yeah the penalty didn't come off, but you know, he, he at least went all in at it. 
Yeah. Well, Cavalero, so I don't want to hark back to this penalty article I wrote, but Cavalero <laughs> in his career has scored six, well, now missed two, but previous to today had only missed one, although four of his penalties were for Benfica B. But he did score quite an important penalty for Wolves um, in 2017. It was a 84th minute winning match-winning penalty uh, against Bristol City. So, like, he's not a terrible penalty taker. I feel harsh to judge him too much, although, as you say... Danny Murphy and, and Tim Cahill he literally said he's running up. He, he, that he could slip here with that run-up. So I have less sympathy for him than kind of after it happened. Anyway, let's come on to the second goal that Fulham scored. And and Dom Lookman did really, really well to, to, to get round the back uh, and square it for Loftus-Cheek. Bit of luck from Yerry Mina, but it, it was good to finally see Lookman kind of beat his man. And that's the danger that he can pose. Yeah, it was it was a weird game for Lookman today. I think he's still definitely shot of confidence from obviously the penalty miss against West Ham. But because I really thought he'd be up for it today, obviously his former employers Everton obviously left him to go RB Leipzig. And then it was the whole thing. He was playing under Ralph Ranić, and then obviously Hasenhutl came in, and he had, he wasn't playing under him. So I really thought he would have been more proactive and direct today, just trying to prove a point to Everton that you know I'm good enough for this level, and you know I should be starting in this league week in week out. But it, what that didn't really happen too much. I think he was de- de- the introduction of Ruben Loftus-Cheek definitely helped in being a, another sort of direct sort of physical player running through the midfield, and I think that's what helped us. You know, win, bring, bringing on Geeser and Loftus-Cheek, bring on two very physical central midfielders, and yeah, Loftus-Cheek got the goal after after a great run, as you said, from Anamola Lutman. Got obviously got lucky with the deflection from Yerry Mina. But to be fair, before the penalty and that goal, I still. I actually thought Loftus Cheek when he first came on didn't seem quite at it. He seemed in in a lot of fifty fifty challenges to not be committing to them. And mate, I understand it with his injury record. He, he's not going to be one who's going to dive straight in. But yeah, again, from from once he won the penalty to end this goal here, you see his confidence was played through the roof. And it's the first time he's really played well for us, as Cam mentioned since he joined. I think all his other performances have been probably you know four or five out of ten. Um, you know, I, I think he played well in the first, in the opening 15, 20 minutes against Sheffield United. But apart from that, I think he's been fairly poor. But yeah, lots of cheek sort of uh, getting through. And obviously, as I said, deflection off Yomina. But then, as I said, after that, I thought we would go on and push for that equaliser. But it didn't, although we had possession and we were getting the ball in sort of the, we had the ball in the right areas to create mm. chances. We didn't actually create any chances. If, if, you know, there was, it wasn't like we were pinging balls into the box trying to get a knock off Mitrovic for, you know, someone like Loftus-Cheek or Lutman to hit one in, which is, which was very strange. But yeah, I, I think, I think, you know, I think actually, you know, a lot of people, because it was so close after the penalty, I don't think, I still think, you know, if we, if we scored the penalty, we still would have scored this goal if that made sense. I still feel like it would have, it would have been, and it was just, yeah, I do. I think that because I don't, th- I think because we, we were attacking anyway, I think if we scored that penalty, we would have still have scored this goal because mm. it could it happen in, in, in such a short space of time. I don't think it was, oh, you score, if you score one, you don't score the other. But I think that we just didn't, properly kick on from 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 this goal back into the game at 3-2 and as I said we just didn't really create anything clear cut and although Everton were definitely under pressure on their counter-attacks they looked more like scoring than we did oh definitely I'd never quite buy the whole uh had we scored the penalty it would have ended 3-3 because I think the game changes so much when you you know let's say we scored the penalty I'm not not necessarily saying it was gonna it would end 3-3 but I don't think if we score one we don't score the other yeah I just, I just, I, I agree with Sammy. I think a little bit that I think Everton probably set back a bit more if, yeah. if we, if, if we scored that penalty kick. I, I do think we were playing really 
lovely football. I think the only thing that kind of really bothered me in that last 20 where we, we, we didn't push up the equalizer is just kind of the lack of the willingness to go direct at, at, at Everton at some of those times. And, and, and I don't know if it's Mitro just didn't look completely fit. There were a couple of times where the ball came to him in the box. He couldn't get his feet, you know, kind of out, out from under himself. Um, and that's where maybe we also miss having Carity a little bit to to create kind of a, you know unpick things, but um, yeah, it was it was it was a bit frustrating. It just it felt like Everton was just reeling, and it was sort of waiting for that uh, that knockout punch. If you know if we were to go back to the the bucket of cliches, and instead of going for the knockout punch, we sort of you know danced around and uh, and you know the the bell finally rung for the end of the of the end of the round. Well, hit the uh, cliche. Claxon, because you just needed to get it in the mixer, didn't you? And I think, <laughs> yes. I, I think Fulham didn't know what to do in that final 20 minutes. They didn't know if they wanted to go direct to Mitra. And there were so many times where you thought like, cross it now, cross it, cross it now cross it no we're gonna pass go to the byline and then when we did try and hit it long it was often from really straight angles and there was no point to it often like i tried a couple of really like straight passes into the box which clearly went straight to pickford it felt like a little bit of lack of strategy for right we're one nil down there's 10 minutes left and we need to bombard them we didn't quite know how to sometimes use the possession to, to its to its best usage uh, uh, really right we've really kind of rattled on about the game and there are loads of questions to get through so we're going to take a quick pause and then we'll be back answering some of your questions welcome back to part two of the fulhamish podcast sammy james here i'm joined by cam ramsey tom betts hello hello and mr usa nathan martin how y'all doing Right, let's crack on with some of the questions. First one coming to you, Cam. FFC at heart at Richard Gilbert 4. Should Ro- should Ruben Loftus-Cheek start against Leicester? If so, what would your lineup be? It's an interesting question. It's one that uh, we talked about a little bit. Um, well, I didn't actually talk about it. It was Jack and Peter, but it was the Ruben Loftus-Cheek problem a couple of podcasts ago. And, and they basically concluded you can either have Tom Kearney or you can have Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and there's not a lot of room for both of them. It's it's a tough world out here, Cam, and, and someone's got to start. See, that's the thing. And the way that Loftus-Cheek, you know, he's come into games and he's made that impact from the bench, I wouldn't necessarily start him because he is that physical edge that we need running into the last 20 minutes of games in particular. And quite obviously, he's going to be an absolute handful for top-flight defences and midfields to, you know, subdue this season because he's weathered to it. He knows what's expected at the top-flight level. Um, and I certainly wouldn't... I, I certainly wouldn't substitute Tom Kearney in place of Loftus-Cheek at the moment. I mean, with a player like Loftus-Cheek, there is an adaptability about him, but I feel that you really get the best from him when he's running through the middle at central defenders and he's just waiting for that contact to come if Lowry's going to beat them hands down. Coming off from either the left or the right, it hasn't really worked in the appearances we've seen him this season, definitely. But I do like to think that his game is going to evolve over his time at Fulham because he's going to be faced with you know situations which he hasn't necessarily come across during his time at um, at Chelsea and indeed Crystal Palace when he was there as well. So for now, I would keep the lineup more or less the same and I would have Loftus-Cheek coming coming into the fray with about 25 minutes to go just to freshen things up a bit. 
I guess the problem with that, Nathan, is that Ruben Loftus-Cheek really, really does have talent. I mean, Bart McKay asks uh, a similar question. He says, how would you craft a starting eleven that included both Kearney and Ruben Loftus-Cheek? He says in his words, because that needs to happen. <laughs> is there a way of having both of them? Or do you surrender too much solidity in the kind of double pivot in midfield and we'll see the problems that we had at the beginning of the season where the defence is so exposed? Well, one person that hasn't been mentioned today that was, you know, just has just been exceptional every time that he plays is Harrison Reed. And Harrison Reed, you know, has has continued when he's fit to be just just absolutely the sort of Angola Conte of, of the Fulham side, you know, stopping, cleaning things up. And so you start going through that midfield light up and you go, you know, who are you going to leave out? Well, you're not going to leave out Angisa. He's our best player when he, you know, when he when he's fit. You're not going to leave out Harrison Reed. So that's two slots that are gone. And you start thinking about, you know, like, like exactly you said, you know, how do you how do you mix in RLC, Kearney um, and, and, you know, someone like Lookman? Are you going to put Lookman up top or what, what do you do with Bobby? And the, the one thing is, that I do think, is that we just have to drop Caviero, right? Like that's the one change that I think you, you would want to see. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe you're able to move, move Lookman around into, into one of those winger positions. But I just I just don't see how you get a midfield pairing of Kearney. RLC and Gisa uh, and, and Harrison Reed and, and making it work because all those players sort of occupy the same area. They do very different things. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just I'm I'm not convinced there's a way to make it work um, without, and particularly because we're shipping goals the way that we are. Kearney needs to have some people protecting him. Ruben doesn't do the sort of defensive work that he needs to do as as well. And I also am not convinced that Ruben can go 90 minutes. I mean, do you do we, do either of you guys think that he's really fit enough to go a full 90? I mean, oh, yeah. if, he, if he's not ready to go a full 90, then it's kind of a moot point. You just think about, do you want him at the beginning or do you want him at the end? And I kind of am inclined to agree with Cam that he's better coming off the bench. Yeah, I agree. I agree with Cam and Nate really here that I don't think lost his cheek. I don't think what he offers us make make sense to start him over Kearney because as as you've spoken of here that you if you if they're both playing in 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 the midfield they both you can't play both I don't I just don't think it's possible for an effective system to work with both of them in the team I think that's that's simply just how we're gonna have to see things I think and I'd much rather start Tom Kearney people people I was talking to one of my Chelsea mates he was like oh but Kearney's not up to Prem standards like he got the assist for our first goal like and he, yeah. he, he he played exceptionally against West West Brom and played well against West Ham. So you're just you're just talking absolute rubbish here. Um, I think when Kenny's in a number ten position, he's definitely prem quality. We the problem with with people have seen they've seen Kenny under Ranieri playing on the right wing. They've seen him playing playing deep in midfield. When Kenny's at number ten, I don't I don't want Loftus Cheek to start over him. I think Loftus Cheek, as Cam has mentioned works so well for us coming off the bench if we're going to play this system where we have one midfielder sort of hanging in a number 10 position because I think you know that added physicality and added pace towards the end of the game is going to be much more effective than than, than bringing Kearney on after 70 minutes I understand you could do that maybe you're going to to try unlock a defence but I feel like if you're going to bring Kearney on you wouldn't want to bring him on for Loftus-Cheek you'd want them there together if you're going to bring TC on and I think if Loftus-Cheek is going to start in the same team as Tom Kearney it's going, it would be out wide right. It wouldn't be in the centre midfield area. And obviously, you know, for me, our, our front three should be Bobby Deckard over Reed Mitrovic and Adam Lutman at the moment because that's that's the best I think we have. And yeah, Loftus Cheek, he still needs to prove prove some mm-hmm. stuff. Yes, he, he, yes, he mm. well done. He played well for twenty minutes today. Well, Kenny's played better than him all season. You know, apart from you know, yes, he he won the penalty. Yes, he scored the goal today, but. 
just that's what we've only seen a glimpse. We haven't seen. I haven't seen anything personally that shows me that he should be starting over Tom Kearney, our captain. I mean, we, we've we've all seen the videos from our social media team of him twisting, you know, Joe Bryan and Maxim the Marshall inside out in training. But that's in training. That's a completely different. Cody Woodrow did that in the, in the championship last season, so it's not too much of a. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I think. It's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? And maybe we're in the mindset as well of, oh, we've got Ruben Loftus-Cheek. He plays um, for Chelsea. He's, he yeah. used to play for England. We have to get him in our team. No, we don't. Like, if Ruben Loftus-Cheek isn't the required level, if we have a player that is higher up the calibre than, than Ruben Loftus-Cheek, then, you know, as much as I would like Luke Ruben Loftus-Cheek to have a great career, it doesn't benefit us. As much as I'm... Uh, well, and I, I don't really care if, if, if he benefits Chelsea or not so maybe we just have to get out of this mindset of like oh no we can't not play Ruben Loftus-Cheek and well, Chelsea yeah, fans just, are it's screaming it's left right like, centre it's like playing trying to just fit all your best players in a team yeah. again like we, 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 we had this issue before we, we had loads of good players in the Premier League last time it didn't work so we didn't find a system that worked we tried to fit all our best players into one team at the same time and I'm afraid at the moment the thing that works best for us is starting Tom Kearney and bringing Loftus Cheek on as was shown today you know Loftus Cheek won the penalty and scored the goal and Tom Kearney got the assist for our first goal so for me I would keep things how they are obviously I'd adjust our front three to not include uh, Ivan Cavallero but I think in our midfield Harrison Reed and Gee and Kenny seem to make the most sense at the moment. It's a really interesting debate, isn't it? And, and I'm sure that Ruben Loftus-Cheek will prove his worth at lots of times this season, but you know he shouldn't just automatically start because he's Ruben Loftus-Cheek. And as you say, Dom, 20 minutes, played well today. Well done. You can, you know, I applaud him for what he did today, but it doesn't necessarily mean he displaces Tom Kearney. Uh, Harry Simmons asks, with the lack of quality right-sided winger, uh, should we consider changing our shape or can Kamara fill that void on his return? (laughs) Um, Kamara returns from his suspension against Leicester. He he came on against Crystal Palace and got that red card. And and I kind of forgot that he was an option until uh, that was just mentioned again by Harry. It's been a long time since we've seen Kamara play properly for us. Um, does Kamara get back into the team in any way, shape or form in the next few games? Over Caviero, definitely. Um, <laughs> despite the fact he's probably one of the most ineffective players, um, despite the fact that, you know, he, going forward, he can still be a battering ram and he's got the odd sporadic shot in him, which can, you know, either hit somebody in row Z or go, go in the top corner. Um, he doesn't get in the squad for me and I don't really think there's any benefit to us switching our formation, you know, just to accommodate Kamara, for example. We need um, we, we, we need a bit of familiarity in the squad again and we need to uh, really find a system that works for everybody on pitch. And we've got that, you know, we've got the midfield trio, as we've already spoken about. Um, we've got Lukman who can obviously drift in from the right or even left to make things difficult in the final third. Mitrovic, when he's fully fit, obviously he's a shoe-in. Bobby Deckard over Reed, he's so elusive in the final third. He just makes things happen and it proved for his goal we scored today. Um, defensively, I think that there's a composition and a relationship forming between the players we have back there. So, no, switching our formation to accommodate Kamara is one of the most funny, well, funniest things I've ever heard, to tell you that's honest truth. So, no, no, basically, no. What, what do you do at the right side, though? Like, that's my question is like, I, Robinson, you know, Tozen and, and Anderson 
like those those are, are solid and they make mistakes every once in a while but they've you you can really see that they're growing in maturity and it was really comfortable to watch them for large portions of the game what, what you know what do we do on that right side until we have a fit Kenny Tate or Congolo I mean do you bring someone else in do you bring a doy in do you well I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I think the I think the crux of the of the um, of the question was changing the formation and altering yeah. it to accommodate Kamara, and we don't need to change the formation. We just need to have Kamara in that berth, which Cav has basically. You know, he can do the same job Cav does, maybe with a little bit more danger and intensity about him, and just maybe maybe a bit of blind stupid, stupidity that can help us out. Um, but I, I wouldn't go about, you know, switching around the whole composition just to accommodate yeah, one, one, thing, one thing I don't get is people are talking about Kamara here, yet, you know, we have someone like Niskins Cabano who yeah. scored, a great, yeah, yeah. scored a great goal for the DR Congo national team in his international break. He's got quality. We saw that towards the end of last season. We've even spoke about it on this podcast, and it seems to happen at the start of a lot of seasons, that Niskins Cabano ends a season really well, and then for some reason he's forgotten about at the start of the next season, like... I, he slept I, on, man. Nis- he slept yeah, on. He is. Niskins Cabano. If you're telling me you'd rather try fit Abukar Kamara into a team as opposed to Niskins Cabano, who who we've seen have such a big impact in what got us to the Premier League last season, I think I think he's got a part to play. I don't think... Kick penalty kicks. I'm, uh, yeah, maybe, yeah. Whether, whether, whether that means starting, whether that, or whether that means coming off the bench, I think that, you know, I'd rather be playing Niskins Cabana than Ivan Cavalero at this yeah, stage, and I'd definitely. rather be playing him than Abu Kamar at this stage. So I think one of the... I think people, just, again, seem to sleep on him and have forgotten the quality that Niskins Cabana has. I mean, in that, that free kick, that poor free kick from Kenny, put Cabana on and it goes in top corner. The bloke's got hip, he's got he's, he's got hips like a boa constrictor, hasn't he? He's, he's amazing <laughs> the way he just jinks into those positions, makes things happen. And the goal he scored for um, for DR Congo, that, that that was outrageous. You know, it, once again, it's a cliche, but if that was Cristiano Ronaldo scoring that, you wouldn't hear the end of it. And for us Fulham fans, we've got a uh, we've got a really um, you know we got to fly that flag a little bit. Um, I completely agree with Dom. I mean, is there anyone else better than coming on and making that little bit of an intricate impact than Niskins Cabano over Caviero and Camara? There's, there's, there's really not. So I would like to see him back in the squad too. And, you know, I completely forgot about him as well. So well done. <laughs> well, you mentioned could he slot away a penalty? I mean, he slotted four free kicks away in a row from 25 yards so I'd like to think he might be able to find the target from 12 but who knows he's a Fulham player so probably not interesting thing that's just broken while we've been on air I don't know if you've seen this there's there's a Kevin McDonald Instagram story that went up very very briefly and then came down um, this is the kind of thing you really don't... That the quote from Gasparini? Yeah. Yeah, so he posted on his Instagram story, and look, I don't want to look too much into what people post on social media, but he's quite quickly deleted it. Uh, the quote is, During training, my players need to struggle. Those who aren't used to working hard scare me. But from the struggle, victories are born. If you don't run in training, then you don't run during the game. And it's a quote from from Gasparini, who's who's the kind of revered manager of, of Atalanta. And you just wonder if... They're there's there's a there's a point being made there by by Kevin McDonald. We saw when we came up to the Premier League last time when Tim Ream quite early doors started criticizing players' attitudes. And for me, that was a real, you know, 
that was a real moment where I thought, oh, we're in a lot of trouble here. I mean, there's only so much you can read into an Instagram story, but I, I thought very, very interesting anyway. Anyway, um, let's come on to a couple more questions. Um, oh, Sammy asked, and this is not uh, uh, some sort of burner account of mine. Um, who do you bring in to fix the right-sided dilemma? I feel like we've come on to that and, and, and uh, Niskin Scabano is the uh, definitive answer. Dom, I'll go to you on this one. Sam Lockhart asks... How the fuck are we going to defend against Jamie Vardy in eight days' time? That's, that's, that's the simple answer <laughs> to it. We Hello. won't defend against Jamie Vardy because I'm even if we try to play a deep line, they've got um, obviously James Madison and Harvey Barnes to pick us apart. I, this is why I thought today was so important because I thought you know it was vital we got something today because you know Leicester away, City away, and Liverpool at home, as we mentioned, isn't going to be an easy game. But I don't, I just can't, I, I don't quite see it because. If we try play a high line, he's just going to run in behind. Then if we try play deep, I feel like they've got the and even deeper in the midfield, they've got the quality of Yuri Tielemans, who obviously we saw get the goal against England and Lurvin over the international break. So I think that it's going to be tough. I think the only way to we could we we could beat Leicester is not to stop Jamie Vardy. It's just to somehow outscore them, and I just can't I can't quite see that happening. No. Last question from Steph Bond, who asks, did Mitro bottle it or was Cav under orders from Parker? And on a similar vein, um, Lelouis Marchand asks, why didn't Mitro take the pen, especially after Parker saying he's the number one taker after the West Ham game? Um, it's it's an interesting one, Nathan. And yeah. I think at the moment, Fulham have absolutely no idea who's taking penalties and we're making it up as we go along, aren't we? Yeah, and this is this this gets back to the thing that has got to get sorted and it's inexcusable in a professional um, you know, organizations or football club, whatever it might be, that you know, start of the matches, just, just, there's just some basic, you know, crossing the T's, dotting the I's that need to be done. And you just see it in Cavs eyes. You see it in Mitro's, you see it in, in all the players, even in Lookman, you know, taking the penalty is that there's just a lack of confidence. It doesn't matter who on the board says they're going to take it. It's that, that whoever's taking it does not have, does not feel like that they have the backing of the entire team. They don't have the backing of themselves. And that, you know, Scott is, is, is good about a lot of man management, but this one is just really baffling to me, and I, I don't understand what's going on. And you know, I'm sure the the revered starting eleven and Atletico Blue Buble or whatever they're called, you know, wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't put up for this sort of behavior when they're down for pints at whatever their you know local is after the match. And I just don't understand why we're still having this go on. I mean, it's just. It's, it's, it's just basic stuff. Do the basics right, and you know you'll you'll pick up points of this. And, and we 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 can't. We cannot do it. Well, we're going to take another little break, and then we'll finish the podcast next. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here, and I'm joined by Cam Ramsey, Don Betts, and Nathan Martin. So um, I'm just going to get rid of the silly penalty questions uh, before we finish the podcast. Um, G Powgam asks, should Scott get on the pitch and take the penalties himself? Not a bad suggestion there. I think maybe just Scott just substitutes himself <laughs> on. I reckon he could uh, he could slot one home. Uh, someone um, responded to one of my tweets with a very good suggestion. Paul Mail said, I think we should now agree to go five subs a game and re-sign an ageing Heider Helgerson specifically <laughs> to take penalties. Bring him on as soon as it's awarded and then take him off again straight after. Job done. Now, now Paul... I, I think there's some sense in that. I think Haida is probably hanging around in Iceland. Not a lot to do at the moment. Maybe go skis on a glacier once in a while. Bring him back. 
bring him back for for an odd uh, occasion. Um, your boy GC, that's his actual name, says Ari- Ariola on pens next week. I think Ariola could smash away a penalty. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, yeah. I'd take him. I'd definitely, I'd definitely be up for seeing how he'd take a penalty. Anthony Robinson, you know, I'm just going to keep the American love. Someone's got to, you know, fly the Star Spangled Banner this side of the pod. Let's, let's see how Anthony can take a what, penalty. What is, what is the American record on penalties? I mean, Clint Dempsey wasn't very good for us. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not have sure. You, have you ever, have you ever lost a penalty? Wasn't bad. Donovan wasn't too bad. Have you ever won or lost a penalty shootout? Um, I don't think so. I don't think we've ever made it. I'm trying to remember. That's a good question. Not in a World Cup or anything like that. I don't think so. I'd have to go back and look. We're, we're gonna. Uh, I'd have to go and look. Ali Robbins asks, "Should we start crossing our penalties?" Yes. <laughs> can, oh, can we? Can we just? Ask, can, no. What we need instead of a penalty, we just get an indirect free kick from the penalty spot. Just try and get someone to lay off and Mitrovic to absolutely pelt it into into the net. An indirect free kick from twelve yards, we would be a lot more effective. We're just getting Niskin Cabano involved, and they will go in somehow right uh let's finish the podcast then and uh, we just need to do the podcast name uh, now as i mentioned at the start of the podcast i wasn't organized enough to ask someone to look through the three word reviews and i named some at the beginning of the podcast but they were from twitter so i popped over to instagram just to double check that uh there weren't any better suggestions on there and uh well there is definitely a better suggestion here gracie stevens has come up with slippy toffee pudding which, that's pretty strong which i Never thought was uh, pretty strong slippy toffee pudding and it, it ties in perfectly as well because i mentioned pudding at the start of the podcast as well so i thought that gracie it again another pudding that americans are gonna have going what the heck is a sticky toffee pudding which is actually a really delicious pudding but that again don't yeah. tell me they don't have sticky toffee pudding it could have been a spotted dick you never know <laughs> <laughs> There are going to be so many Americans so confused what you're talking about. <laughs> well, there's so many monthly Americans there, isn't it? That'd be great. Just going to go down the, uh, go, go down the kitchen, get a spotted dick on here. Love it. Right, right any Americans, maybe tweet the podcast. If you're living in, listening, listening in America, I want to hear whether you've heard of these three puddings. If you've just generally heard of one, a goo chocolate baked pudding, two, a sticky toffee pudding, or three, a spotted dick. If you've heard of or eaten any of those puddings and you live in America, I know that about 25% of our audience does live in America, then let us know. I want to know whether you've encountered those puddings, please. That's your homework. <laughs> right. Fulhamish will be back on Thursday. Uh, it'll be myself, Jack and Peter uh, looking ahead to that big Leicester City match. It's going to be a difficult one at the King Power Stadium. Uh, and Fulham will try and get some points out of that one, but it's definitely going to be a, a difficult match. Thank you to my guest today, to Cam Ramsey. Thank you very much. Let know you later, lads. Love it. Oh, very, very good. He got in a final cliche. Don Betts, thank you very much. It's all right. And Nathan Martin, thank you very much. It's just an honour to be here. <laughs> one of your when i've played football with you nathan and i've played a lot of football with you over the years your cliche is whenever you miss um shoot goddamn i'm a very gentle loving individual but i just have a lot of anger that's usually directed at myself for for a poor performance so yes sammy that is a very accurate retelling gets me every single time nathan <laughs> just hits one over the bar shoot goddamn <laughs> 
Death strike. <laughs> That's not actually what I say, Mom. I promise. I'm much nicer than that. <laughs> He's a very good deep South American boy. Right. Thank you very much for listening. Have a good start of your week and come on your whites. <laughs>